It's funny, isn't it, how the rest of the media kind of ignores things that are going on in apartments and then suddenly it's like they've discovered it for the first time. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, you know, there's so many people now living in apartments. Yeah, they, but, you know, it's, it's weird. They ignore that they, at their peril. They do, but they do seem to ignore it. It's usually around about this time of year when there aren't that many stories happening. Mm, they go out seeking stories and... Find out there's this whole world yeah. in, in Strata. So we're going to be talking about a few stories you've dug up. One of them is about rents going up. The other one is about owners going up into the airspace above <laughs> their, their buildings. And we're going to talk about, there's a story the other day about electric vehicle charging in the Daily Telegraph, I think it was. Um, so there's a lot to talk about. We'd better move on. I'm Jimmy Thompson. I write the flat chat column for the Australian Financial Review. I'm Sue Williams, and I write about property for Domain. And this is the Flat Chat Wrap. Brent, Sue, they're going up. Yeah, and by a huge amount as well. Um, Domain brought out its um, annual rent report this week, and it showed really interestingly that apartment rents have gone up even more than house rents as well. I mean, house rents have gone up by a huge amount too. So they showed that house rents have gone up nationally because they look at capital cities around the country. Mm. Um, They've gone up by 14.6% for houses over the past year. But for you, for apartments, they've gone up seventeen point six percent in a year, which is wow. quite incredible, really. And that's the seventh consecutive quarter of house rent rises and the sixth of unit rises. Has this got anything to do with post-COVID stuff, or is it like people coming out of the shells, or is it people coming back to live in the cities, or what? What's going on? Well. Generally, the the rising rents for houses and apartments is all about the supply of housing. There's just not enough housing. And also post-COVID, we've got um, a rise in overseas migration and the return of overseas students. And, uh, and of course, we've got the tourism industry kicking back again as well and some owners putting their properties back on short-term letting platforms like Airbnb. So that reduces the the amount of supply of rental properties. But for you Well, I mean, according to Airbnb, it doesn't. So that can't possibly be true. (laughs) But for units, I mean, I guess, you know, the the supply of housing is all about um, rising interest rates as well. Mm. Um, It's making, um, you know, some, some landlords, investors in property who traditionally rent out their places... They might be trying to pass on the, the higher cost of mortgages in the form of rising interest rates to tenants as well. You know, that may be happening as well. That may be pushing up rents too. But it's quite astonishing that unit rents, apartment rents have gone up by more than house rents. And mm-hmm. we think it's kind of because it's all about affordability. People who can no longer afford to rent houses are now looking at apartments. Right. And people realise that apartment living is a really pleasant way to live. Can and be, can yeah. be. Well, yeah, it can be, I suppose, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really awful apartment buildings in suburbs which aren't as salubrious, I guess, mm. you know, that can be hard work. Mm. But, yeah, so a lot of people are really scrambling to find nice units to to rent instead of houses. You know, they're moving down from houses and townhouses, they're going to apartments instead because traditionally they've always been a bit cheaper, but really the gap is narrowing in rents between houses and apartments. So it's looking pretty dire for tenants out there. Well, I got a call from a friend of ours who said somebody in their office had just had a notice from their 
landlord giving them 60 days advance warning that their rent was going up by 40%. 40. 40. 40. 40%. And, uh, and he said, surely this isn't legal. And my response was, well, actually, it's, it is legal because they'd given the appropriate term of notice. Mm. They're probably thinking, well, we can take this to a tribunal and say this isn't legal. They can take it to a tribunal and say it's excessive, but the tribunal will look at the average of rents for similar properties in that area. They they don't look at the amount of the increase, Mm. although it does flag to some extent that it may be excessive, and certainly worth looking at. But what they will look at is similar apartments in the same area and what the average rent for that is. And if it's in excess of that, then a tribunal will say, well, no, you can have some increase, but not all that you're asking for. Mm. And then what usually happens is that the tenant gets notice a few weeks later saying that they're they're not going to renew mm, the lease. But the difficulty is, I think, during COVID, some landlords put the rents down mm. and now maybe they've been slow to put them back up again. And now they're actually seeing this huge rental increase around Australia yeah. and are now putting up the rents by a huge amount because they're making up not only the losses during COVID, but also catching up with the rest of properties in an area. I mean, we've had like areas in Sydney that have traditionally been a lot cheaper, somewhere like in the southwest, like Bass Hill, Rents there have gone up in the past year by 44.2%. You know, so wow. 40% wow. isn't kind of really it's not off the scale. spectacular in lots of ways. And I mean, Melbourne, um, in inner city Melbourne, units have gone up 33.3% recurring percent right. <laughs> <laughs> over the past year. Even on in Queensland, on the Gold Coast, units in Runaway Bay have jumped 36.8%. You know, so... All around Australia, that they've had huge rises in in apartment rents. Yeah, we've just never seen that kind of thing before. So what I did for a friend was point them in the direction of the Tenant Union website, which has a fantastic uh, fact sheet about what to do when you get a huge rent rise as a tenant. Mm. It's very clever. It tells you what the law says, what the landlord must do, and then has, even has a little section on how to negotiate a lower rent rise because that's the first thing oh, that's a good idea. that would be advisable to any tenant who has an excessively high rent rise. What kind of tips do they offer? Well, the, the first thing is go back and ask the landlord to moderate, maybe offer less, just say, look, we'll, we'll pay this amount maybe for a longer lease, mm, yeah. right? Um, but there, there is also the thing that, you know, up, up their sleeve is the thing of saying, well, look, we go, we're going to take this to a tribunal. I mean, if the landlord proves to be reluctant, they can say, well, we're going to take it to a tribunal. And the landlord might go, oh, God, I'd rather take the lower rent and live with that than go through all the hassle. It's all about engagement rather than threats. There's always the danger, they, they should know this, their agents will be telling them, that if you go to a tribunal with something that's way off the scale, then it's going to get knocked back anyway, and you're going to have to go through the hassle of going to the tribunal. Mm. But uh, it's interesting, I was talking to Leo Patterson-Ross, the head of the tenant union. and In it, New South Wales. In New yeah. South Wales, yeah. And I was saying, well, if if the landlord comes back and, you know, agrees on a lower rent or whatever and then says, okay, you've got to move out as a retaliatory eviction, 
uh, you know, like in terms of at the end of your lease, I'm not renewing it. Mm. He said that that's very rarely approved by the tribunal. It has to happen within two or three weeks. If the landlord comes back two months later and says, okay, I'm not renewing your lease, then the tribunal will say, well, that's not retaliatory because it's happened at a different point. Mm. So it's kind of really worth the tenants engaging with the landlord, engaging with the the agent to try and find a reasonable outcome. Mm. But the simple fact is, as you've pointed out, rents are going up. Yeah. But most landlords are reasonable and they will kind of want to keep a good tenant, really, yeah. even if it's if they're not paying quite as much rent as they hoped. Mm. And it's difficult because I think during COVID, as we know, a lot of people bought properties in the country mm. and also on the coast. Mm. And some of those people are now deciding, in, you know, they, they, they bought them and they rented them out for a while and they were always thinking, well, maybe I'll go and live there later. And some people have decided, no, they're not going to go and live there later, maybe mm. like us. Mm. Um, other people have decided, well, I'm going to go and live there sooner rather than later. Like my brother bought a sea change place in Port Macquarie. Yep. Um, he lives in Sydney. And the tenant broke the lease agreement, so he decided, oh, look, maybe why not just go and live there instead sooner rather than later? Bring it forward. Yeah, so he's gone to to live there now and he's selling his house in Sydney. So, you know, that means one less place to to rent for people in Port Macquarie. And that might be happening on a much larger scale as well. It also think in these country and seaside places, they're absolutely prime spots for short-term lets. Mm, That's right, because often I think – they don't have the traditional rental market. You know, people in Sydney buy a place on the coast and expect to rent for, you know, as much as mortgage repayment. But sometimes in those little seaside towns, they don't have a big rental market. A so, local rental market. That's right. Yeah. So they would pay much less rent than than maybe the mortgage would cost. Yeah. And the negative gearing wouldn't make up for some of their losses. Well, this is a d- the dilemma for a lot of these places like Byron Bay being the 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 prime example, but other um, holiday, traditional holiday areas, mm-hmm. is that the owners can make a lot of money on mm. on holiday rentals, but the people who service the holiday makers, the bar people and baristas and, and cafe owners and shop assistants. And cleaners. They can't afford to pay. They can't afford to live there. Yeah. Yeah. So who, how do you get That's the people crazy, in? crazy, isn't it? Um, yeah, and I mean, I, it will work out in time. It will kind of smooth out, hopefully, in time. But in the meantime, there'll be an awful lot of pain there. Mm. But the, the glimmer of hope on the horizon is that the rate, the pace of rental um, increases, is actually easing. Right. So that is a good thing. So hopefully, you know, this time next year, maybe rents will completely stabilise because by then we we'll, we will have stopped. Hopefully having interest rate rises, mm. the, the mm. Reserve Bank of Australia will stop that and mm. that will stabilise, maybe even come down by early next year. Yep. So hopefully the market might settle down again as well. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. But I mean, the the fundamental issue is there's a shortage of housing. Absolutely. Of, of all kinds. Yeah. And apartments, when they start building new homes for people, they're going to be concentrating on apartments because – you know, the quarter acre block or whatever size it is these days, the McMansions, they are the least efficient way of housing people. That's right. We just need kind of good apartments, well planned in 
areas with lots of amenity for people going to live there, you know, cafes, parks, mm. um, swimming pools. You know, we need all that kind of stuff. And it's interesting, you look at Green Square in Sydney, and I think many of us thought, oh, that's going to look awful. But in fact, I mean, it's a very high-density area, lots and lots of it apartments. Is. But actually, it's pretty well planned. You know, they've got yep. that fantastic um, aquatic centre there. They've got mm. great cafes. They've got great restaurants now. Yep. They've got that fantastic library. Yep. Um, you know, well-planned, high-density living yep. can be really good. And, we a, know- and a railway station. Yeah, absolutely. We know people live there and absolutely love it. Okay, uh, when we come back, we will be talking about making use of the airspace above your apartment block. Um, That's after this. And we're back. Sue, you found another story in the... Is it Daily Telegraph again? My God, they're on the the ball. They've discovered apartments. Well done. Um, The story is about the billions of dollars of unused property sitting above apartment blocks. I guess we're talking about small apartment blocks with roof space. Mm, So what's the story? Yeah, I was contacted by this guy last week, and he calls himself a rooftop property development specialist. (laughs) Right. Warren Lucy. And he says he's making a business, he's been going for a while now, um, about utilising, going to apartment buildings and talking to owners and saying you've got unused airspace above your building that you could be building on. You know, you're allowed to go up maybe 10 10 storeys in your area and you've only gone up up eight storeys. So we could build maybe two penthouses on top, two two, two two-storey penthouses on top of your building. And you, as owners corporation members, can sell those, make money, and upgrade your entire building. I mean, right. it's not a new concept, obviously. No. There's been lots of other developers who've been going around, particularly in beachside suburbs, where there yep. are traditionally smaller um, buildings, and yep. they're kind of crumbling because of the sea air and the salt yeah, 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 and yeah. foundations. And they're, they're kind of they're all 50s, 60s buildings that could really do with an upgrade. So we're not talking about the two-storey walk-up with the roof space above the top apartment so much. We're talking about roofs on... Kind of moderate buildings, yeah. 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 Eight to ten storeys, that kind of thing, really. Right. Okay. I mean, it could be, you know, in, well, it's a much more difficult engineering process if you've got a really tall building but you've got a bit of space on top. Yeah. Um, mostly it's kind of small you know, maybe even four-storey buildings right. with eight owners or ten owners, that kind of thing, because it can be really difficult to corral owners together and get them to agree. I mean, as anybody who lives in an apartment building knows, yeah. it can be hard it's to get them times to agree of crisis. on anything. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I mean, and traditionally, it's always been the people on the top floor who want to move into the roof space, and usually it's taken from the um, misconception that the, nobody else is using the space above their apartment, so they can. Mm. And they move in, often without telling anybody else in the building <laughs> that they're doing so. Uh, I remember friends of ours had an apartment down in, was it Bondi? Was it uh, Tamarama, somewhere around there? And it was a two-storey walk-up, and people had moved into a flat on the top floor and just taken out the ceiling mm. and moved and opened up the roof space. To, to give themselves this vaulted cathedral-like apartment on the top floor. And they were, you know, basically when they said, you can't do that, they said, but it's nobody else can use it. So you know, nobody can else, else can go in there, so we can. Mm. And, uh, and, of course, there is a formula for that kind of thing, which is basically the increased value of the extended property minus the cost of extending it. 
as mm. all that money then has to go back to the owner's corporation. But mm. it has to be done with the owner's corporation's approval. Mm. People can't just do it, although they do. Yeah, that's right. But a this lot. is a different thing. This is like a more commercial operation. Yeah, that's right. And obviously you have to lodge a development application with the local council to make sure you can yeah. do it. And lots of – I mean, you've got to get it done properly by a proper – developer or construction company yeah, or engineer. Yeah. Um, but yeah, look, it's a, it's a great way to go for people to, to refurb old buildings. Yeah. Or, you know, you could actually end up giving yourself a strata levy holiday for two years or something yeah. on the extra money. Yeah. So, you know, there, there is a lot of untapped room there that you that people can use. I mean, the other developers go in. I mean, this guy is looking at roof space particularly, but other developers go in and look for actually empty spaces in the building. Yeah. And one developer found some unused space in the kind of the basement of a building right. and reconfigured it and turned it into another apartment, which yeah. benefited everybody there. And I think somebody on the top of that building actually moved, extended upwards as well, didn't That's they? That's right, yeah. 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 So, so, you know, basically gave the building a whole new life and fixed up all the things that needed fixing in it. Yeah, and as buildings get older, this is kind of an area which I think more and more people are looking at because you can use that money, you can add balconies onto a building that doesn't have balconies, Yeah, especially, you know, if you are by the coast. I mean, it's incredible to have a building without balconies when you're at the seaside, really. Yeah, and it's interesting that David Chandler, the building commissioner, is taking an interest in these refurbs of older buildings because, as he's pointed out, you could have – uh, an extension or a refurbishment done by professional builders and engineers, or it could be somebody working on the weekend. <laughs> Saying, I'll do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So he's inspecting those, isn't he, and making sure the work is up to scratch. Yeah, and that the people doing the work have actually got a good track record. Um, mm. So that's going to be the next thing. Now that he's got the new buildings have, have come under close scrutiny and he's got a team working on them, I think that's going to be his shift in focus. But he's talking about older buildings that need work and older buildings that have had work. And, you know, in a lot of cases, some of the work that's been done is just not up to scratch. Mm, yeah. And the, the owners are left with a bill to fix it. Yeah. So I think it is a, an area that a lot of buildings should be looking at and mm. kind of, you know, having a think. It's interesting, in our building, which was quite a, was a new building 20 years ago, um, we found some spaces that weren't being used and one of them we turned into a building manager's office because we didn't have one of those yep. and another one was a big room that was for meetings but it was kind of we thought that's never really going to be used for meetings and it's such a big room so we turned it into a second gym so we've got two right, gyms right effectively which people use much more than a meeting would, room, a meeting room. Yeah. yeah when we come back we're going to talk about electric vehicle charging and uh, something I didn't know um, that's in the offing this year. That's after this. And we're back. And our third story this week is about apartment blocks and electric vehicle charging, which we have covered in the past. Now, what I didn't know is apparently that all new buildings, uh, as of October this year, mm. all new apartment buildings have to be wired for electric vehicle charging. Absolutely, yeah. And obviously, that's going to increase the pressure on existing buildings to upgrade mm. um, their systems. And, and the general thinking these days seems to be get the infrastructure in for the cabling, 
Even if there's only one or two electric cars in your building at the moment, they are going to increase. We can see that, that the number of electric vehicles coming into Australia is going up and the prices are going down. And apparently, statistically, apartment residents are more likely to change their cars over more frequently. Somewhat mm. weird statistic, but um, <laughs> so yeah, and a lot of people are saying that the next car they get is going to be an electric vehicle. Mm. It's kind of quite controversial. I went and visited a, an old friend the other day in their building um, in kind of inner west of Sydney, and uh, they live in a huge complex and they've just put in just two vehicle chargers, so you can actually go and park in a car car space yep. and plug your car in yep. for, I don't know, three hours or maybe overnight. Then you have to drive away and let the next person in. Yep. So they've only got two. It won't be overnight. This. Oh, okay. Maybe it's It's over a couple. Of, you shouldn't take more than an hour to charge up a vehicle okay. with a fast charger. Okay. So they've got two, but for this massive building. Yeah. And um, the person I was talking to was saying, you know, it's such a waste of money. We, we only have one electric car why can't they go and charge it somewhere else why should we have to contribute money towards that so it's actually some people are really resisting there are there is a lot of resistance in our building they they put up all the cabling and infrastructure and as far as i can tell there are only two cars that are using it but i still think it's a good thing because absolutely because it's what they call future proofing future proofing and if buildings it's it costs about 400 per apartment more to include this, according to this story in the Daily Telegraph, to include this when the apartment is being built, when the block is being built. Yeah, $400 more per apartment, right. which when you consider that you're not going to get an apartment in a new building for less than 800000 it's mm. a drop in the ocean mm. and it's helping the environment. I'm not sure about the information in this story because it says that using your domestic power supply to charge your car can take up to three days. That's just nonsense. I mean, Is it? So yeah. if we were able miraculously to get our car into our apartment, we just put it in a regular plug? Yeah, oh, overnight. I don't know. When you consider that most electric cars are only used in the city for short runs, mm. okay, and you charge it, and they only charge up to 80% capacity anyway. And they very rarely get down to nothing. Yeah, that's true. So when you're charging up, you're actually just topping up. Mm. And so cars are sitting in the parking space overnight anyway. It just takes an overnight charge to get you up to the point that you're going to need it, you use it for the yeah. next time. Because when I think of my e-scooter, <laughs> yeah. When I go down from like five bars is my top charge. Mm. And usually when I go down to say two bars, that's when I charge. And that would take maybe two hours. Right. On my e-scooter. Right. <laughs> I don't know. How, we're how talking about we're talking up. about a different thing here. <laughs> but the domestic electricity supply is perfectly capable of charging up mm. an electric car. Maybe it takes long obviously it would take longer to do it from scratch. Yeah. But you park your car at night when you come home from work, you plug it in, you go and have dinner and sleep and get up in the morning and it's been sitting there for eight hours charging up, It probably more. Mm. So it may be three days to charge a huge vehicle from scratch. Yeah. 
But, but you're only going to do that once. Yeah, and it annoys me when people just throw out information like that because this constant drip feed of negative information about electric cars we're getting from all sorts of sources. Mm. And it's based on prejudice and it's pre- based on rumour and it's based on worst-case scenarios. And in fact, it just makes a lot of sense for apartment blocks. Put the infrastructure in. Now, that infrastructure could be charging stations, which, as somebody pointed out, you know, if you only have two charging stations, then you will only charge up two cars. And so this, this thing about, oh, there's only two electric cars in the, in the building. It's a piece of nonsense, you know, and, and everybody who says that they've put electric charging into their apartment block says virtually within hours, literally, an electric car appears. Mm. Because that car has been owned by a resident who's charged it somewhere else. Yeah, that's true. And also, um, real estate agents keep reporting that one of the first questions people ask when they're coming to look at an apartment to buy is, does the building have electric vehicle charging? Yeah. I did the story a a couple of months ago for the AFR about this. And, uh, you know, there was somebody there who'd championed electric vehicle charging in their building. And one of the arguments that got across the line was that somebody had come to the building, planning to rent or buy, and asked, do you have electric vehicle charging? They said, no. Do you have plans to install it? No. Okay, well, I'll look somewhere else then. Mm, yeah. And that is the kind of thing, I mean, it's one person and one anecdotal story, but it's the kind of thing that makes investors especially go, ooh, um, are we missing out here? Mm, yeah. And actually, you're not just missing out on a potential tenant or potential Mm. purchaser. You're missing out on a kind of person in your building who is a bit more environmentally conscious. Mm. And these are the kind of people that you want in your building. Yeah, forward-looking and innovative and, Mm. yeah, absolutely. So, and talking about being environmentally conscious, next week we are going to be talking about garbage chutes. Okay. And how they are expensive. And oh, that's rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> and how they undermine your whole recycling program in your building. Oh, but that's next week. Okay. Um, thanks, Sue. Pleasure, Jimmy. For digging through the newspapers and finding all those stories for us and, and uh, bringing us up to date on rents. And thank you all for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Flat Chat Wrap podcast. You'll find links to the stories and other references on our website, flatchat.com.au. And if you haven't already done so, you can subscribe to this podcast completely free on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcatcher. Just search for Flat Chat Wrap with a W, click on subscribe, and you'll get this podcast every week without even trying. Thanks again. Talk to you again next week.